13 years ago in August is when we moved to Baltimore. How many of you here, other than Daniel, me, Danielle, remember when you moved to Baltimore? How many of you remember when you moved to Baltimore? Yeah, remember when you moved here? Remember what it was like when you were new to Baltimore? Everything was brand new. Uh, this picture is from um, a trip I made um, out here in, in looking at houses and neighborhoods and praying through what neighborhood God would have us start the church in. And uh, as you can see, an Orioles game uh, attended in that scouting trip. Uh, it was an exciting game. It was 12 to 18 uh, win over the Red Sox. Um, that's for you, Stephen. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but I, I very much remember what it was like to be new to the city. And now I've got to find a new car mechanic. Um, and now I've got to find a new dentist. And, you know, because Rebecca makes me go. You know, there's all those things about being new. And you, you, you look for connections. You want to meet somebody who is in the know. I didn't know Daniel could just work on my car for me. <laughs> it's helpful to know somebody who's in the know. We introduced plenty of people to the Charmery ice cream that was started around the corner from our house uh, years after we, we moved here. It's helpful to meet somebody who's in the know. Henry Standing Bear was a Lakota chief who reached out to Kerchek Zielkowski, who had been on the team who carved Mount Rushmore, the monument to U.S. presidents in uh, South Dakota, outside of Rapid City. And he asked Kerchek to build, to carve out of a granite hill, a monument to all Native American people. And they came together with an idea. They came together with an idea um, that included not accepting any uh, money from the U.S. government to, to, to do this, for it to be something for the Native people. But they needed somebody in the know, somebody who knew how to carve granite. It wasn't something that they specialized in. And they settled on the idea of honoring um, Tosunke Witko, called Crazy Horse who was known as a chief who put the needs of his people above his own. He was the victor at the Battle of Little Bighorn, also known as Custer's Last Stand. The U.S. military response to that was so crushing, it led to many Native people fleeing their lands and the surrender of Chief, chief Joseph and Sitting Bull that had quite a bit more power. Tragic bloodshed on, on both sides, but Tosunke was invited by the U.S. government under flag of treaty to a fort, and it became pretty obvious that they were just going to imprison him. And so in an interaction with a, a soldier, a soldier killed him, and, and he became a, a person of note, a rallying cry, an inspiration, somebody with, with painful knowledge. And, and Kerchak and... Henry Standing Bear came to this idea you can see on the screen of Crazy Horse on his, on his horse and pointing. And this is in capturing the moment between 
him and a U.S. soldier towards the end when it was clear that he was suffering defeat. And the U.S. soldier in a derisive way said, where are your lands now? To which he replied, pointing, my lands are where my dead lie buried. This, this tragic story, but a monument that you can even now see from space that is very impressive. And, and Kerchek and his wife Ruth, uh, can you turn me down a little please, um, built a log cabin and started to do this construction and started to have children. In fact, they had 10 children, uh, five boys, five girls. And he would do uh, carvings like the one that you see there in marble, put them out on the street to sell them to try to help continue to fund the effort. And he would make his own ladders and climb up the hill and do this blasting work. Um, it's a long, arduous process and it's really a, a difficult process. This is a picture of his face, um, Crazy Horse's face. This is a picture that I took. I touched his, touched his face, which is not something that the general public can do. Um, how did that happen? Well, I had a traveling job and was doing a, doing a job for uh, First Assembly of God, Rapid City, South Dakota, and met a man named Shashi, which you see his picture on the screen. Shashi is one of the top, you can count on one hand, blasting experts in all of North America and Israel and Europe. And we became friends. And Shashi took me up in his uh, plane small little single prop Cessna, and that's what I looked like at the time. Uh, a little different, a little happy to be um, up in the plane. It took me on a flight over uh, the Badlands and introduced me to the story of Crazy Horse and introduced me to the sculpture and what was going on and uh, took me there to, I watched a 10,000 10, ton blast of granite off um, from about three quarters mile away, felt the concussion of the air uh, against my pants when it happened, and, and told me the story of Crazy Horse, told me about blasting, uh, told me about, about this work. He was a person who was in the know. I want us to turn to the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 6 and think about what Jesus teaches us about Father God, okay? So Jesus is a person in the know, and we're focusing on the fact that God is all-knowing. God knows everything. God who is perfect in knowledge. Jesus is, now we're coming in mid-sermon, right? We've already had the Beatitudes, the Blessed. We're coming in mid-sermon. Jesus says, be careful when you do good things, don't do them in front of people to be seen by them. If you do that, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to the poor, don't be like the hypocrites. They blow trumpets in the synagogues and on the streets so the people will see them and honor them. I tell you the truth, those hypocrites already have their full reward. Uh, this is from the NCV translation. So when you give to the poor, don't let anyone know what you're doing. Your giving should be done in secret. Your Father can see what is done in secret and He will reward you. Now remember, as we go through this, I want us to be thinking about what does Jesus teach us about God who is perfect in knowledge. Father can see what is done in secret and he will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners and pray so that people will see them. I tell you the truth, they already have their full reward. 
When you pray, you should go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who cannot be seen. Your Father can see what is done in secret and He will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like those people who don't know God. They continue saying things that mean nothing, thinking that God will hear them because of their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. So when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name always be kept holy. May your kingdom come and what you want to be done and what you want be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the food we need each day. Forgive us for our sins, just as we've forgiven those who sinned against us. And do not cause us to be tempted, but save us from the evil one. The kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours forever. Yes, if you forgive others for their sins, your Father in heaven will also forgive you for your sins. But if you don't forgive others, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. When you fast, don't put on a sad face like the hypocrites. They make their faces look sad to show people they're fasting. I, I tell you the truth, those hypocrites already have their full reward. So when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, and then people will not know that you're fasting. But your Father, whom you cannot see, will see you. Your Father sees what is done in secret, and He will reward you. Don't store treasures for yourselves here on earth, where moth and rust will destroy them, and thieves can break in and steal them. But store your treasures in heaven where they cannot be destroyed by moths or rust or where thieves cannot break in and steal them. Your heart will be where your treasure is. The eye is a light for the body. If your, eye is, if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the only light you have is really darkness, then you have the worst darkness. No one can serve two masters. The person will hate one master and love the other, or will follow one master and refuse to follow the other. You cannot serve both God and worldly riches. So I tell you, now watch this, Jesus is making a pivot. He's making a turn. He's going from, okay, so here's the implication of wholehearted devotion to God. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, now he's making a turn that's really important. So I tell you, don't worry about the food or drink you need to live or about the clothes you need for your body. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Look at the birds in the air. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them and you know that you are worth much more than the birds. You cannot add any time to your life by worrying about it. And why do you worry about clothes? Look at the lilies of the field grow. They don't work or make clothes for themselves, but I tell you that even Solomon with his riches was not dressed as beautifully as one of these flowers. God clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire. So you can be even more sure that God will clothe you. Don't have so little faith. Don't worry and say, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? The people who don't know God keep trying to get these things. And your Father in Heaven knows you need them. Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. Then all your other needs will be met as well. So don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will have its own worries. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So we see a repeated phrase. Jesus repeats a phrase which is a common 
teaching technique of the day, writing technique, verbal technique of reinforcing something that is important. And Jesus references a teaching that they had about Yahweh God that was important, which was God is all-knowing. God knows everything. And in this particular case where Jesus is bringing the teaching to be very personal, he's bringing an interaction with this truth, and he's saying, hey, God sees everything. And God knows ahead of time, and God knows perfectly what you need. And it's this God who provides. So Jesus repeats this, he references it, it's important. I think if we were to kind of think about what we might learn from this God who is perfect in knowledge. Remember, last week we talked about perfect meaning complete, no weakness, none better than. God doesn't have any weakness in His knowledge. His knowledge is complete and no one has more knowledge than God. When we think about Matthew 6 and Jesus' teaching, we might say God sees all and will respond. We also might say God provides based on his perfect and complete knowledge. Does that make sense? With me so far? Now what we believe, expanding this a little bit, is that God is perfect in knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. God is perfect in knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. And in the notes and the post that's going to be available to you, I put together just a significant Bible study on this to help you But let's just quickly summarize some of the biblical truths. So obviously, Jesus is teaching God sees everything. And we already have that in the Old Testament. All things are open for God to see. Everything is available for God to observe, right? God's understanding is infinite. God's understanding is not limited. It's not confined. It doesn't have a weakness. It doesn't stop. It's ever expanding. God knows the hearts of everyone. This is a really significant Um, principle. God knows our thoughts and God knows our heart. The human heart is complex. On vacation I was reading a book uh, written by Bono, the lead singer of U2, and he uses the book in kind of an autobiographical and ad for the band. And each chapter is set in the origin story of one of their songs. And telling the story of that song. And it's really interesting. It really gets into songs. There's so much to learn about a song. About the person who wrote it. About the musicians who played it. And and in this case, in reading about the book, the sound engineers, the producers, the concerts, the experiences that shaped it. Shaped how the song changed and so on and so forth. Actually pretty fascinating. And I'm just the right age demographic to actually read the book. But I noted a particular story about this song called The Sweetest Thing, which Bono wrote for his wife, Allie, of more than 40 years. Uh, Last year, they celebrated their 40th anniversary. Childhood sweetheart. There was a year where he forgot her birthday. And he didn't know that he forgot her birthday until he realized she wasn't speaking to him and actually used sign language to communicate to him that he'd forgotten her birthday. Now, he knew that just writing a song wasn't going to be enough. And just a love song wasn't going to be significant enough of an apology because of how deep the offense was. 
So he wrote a song and recorded a song and gave it to her as a recording, giving her the rights to the song. Now, his, his wife, Allie, is uh, educated in sociology, political science, and she was already working with a, closely with a nonprofit uh, benefiting the children of the tragedy in Chernobyl. And so she said, so it's my song, I can do whatever I want. So from its origin to the present, all the proceeds for that song go to this nonprofit to benefit the children of Chern Chernobyl. Our heartstrings are complex. Jeremiah writes about it. God gives a revelation to Jeremiah and Isaiah about our heartstrings. In Jeremiah chapter 17, actually, God speaks through Jeremiah to talk about the human heart and how the human heart can feel things that are true and how the human heart can feel things that are unreliable. In fact, in its complexity, the human heart at the same time can feel things that are true and things that are unreliable. Jeremiah 17 says, human heart is deceitful. But God is all-knowing and God knows your heart perfectly. That means God knows your heart better than you do. Certainly better than I do. One of the things that I've prayed a lot over the last year is the verse that you see on the screen there. God speaks through Isaiah in saying that his thoughts and his ways are higher than ours. And I pray the prayer that Jesus gives us in Matthew 6, that your kingdom come, that your will be done. One of the things that I'm also praying out of Ephesians 4 is, Holy Spirit, make new my thinking and my feeling. My thoughts and my attitudes, make them new, renew them. I submit to you, God, because I believe that your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my ways. God has the answers. And for the sake of time, I'm going to skip through a whole bunch of Bible study and notes. God is perfect in knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. What does that mean? Well, gravity... Let's just take the simple concept of gravity. Knowledge is, I have an accurate possession of all the facts. Understanding is a full perception and interpretation of the facts. So God is perfect in his possession of all the facts. God is perfect in his correct, full perception. Do you know that your dog and your cat can perceive things you can't? And you definitely can perceive things they can't. Think about a God who can perceive all these things. But not only perceive all these things, but have the right interpretation of all these things. And then in wisdom, it's the right and the full understanding of how to apply this. Of what to do about it. Am I making any sense? So I shouldn't use the principle of gravity to hurt someone else. Right? A God-sourced wisdom, I can use the principle of gravity for good and wholesome and God-fearing things. It's important for us to know that God, it's impossible for God to make an error of judgment. Right. Jeremiah, going back to the passage we read last week, says, and remember, this is the city is being sieged. And he's saying, God, do you see the fire? In the midst of that prayer, he says, God, you have all wisdom 
and do great and mighty miracles. You see the conduct of all people and you give them what they deserve. Jeremiah is praying based on what he believes about who God is, even in the midst of contradictory circumstances. Remember, he's already referenced God's the giver of life in creation, and he's already referenced the miracles, the positive things that God has done in their history in the past, and then he also references the contradictory circumstances that they're experiencing today. And in that, he makes this statement of faith, God, you have all wisdom. Look what Jesus says. Your father can see what is done in secret and he will reward you. God has perfect understanding. God has the answers for today and tomorrow. This is really important. Five minutes, I'm going to be done. Going back to 2020 and 2021, when I was really at a place of God doing all that we can, and it doesn't seem like enough, it doesn't seem like the right thing, what's happening? Are you, are you shutting down local churches? God, what, what are you doing? And as I prayed it out and quieted myself before God, this truth rang in my spirit and has sustained me by God's spirit many days from that day to this. God has the answers for today and tomorrow. God has the answers for today and tomorrow. Even in the unknown, there's nothing too hard for God. There's also nothing too complex for God. We're all facing challenges. We're all facing challenges that have layers to them, where there's complexity to them, where there's lots of thoughts and opinions about them, where we've been hit in the face by something with life, something that we don't have all the answers to. We get stressed when we don't have all the answers. Are you with me? Right? We get stressed when we don't know the way through. We don't know the solution. We don't know what we're supposed to do. We get stressed in that case. I want you to hear me today. I want you to hear the teaching of Jesus today. God has the answers for today and tomorrow. In the context of the same teaching, God teaches them, hey, this is who God is. And yes, pray. Pray. Abba Father, I keep your name holy. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us as we, right? All, it's all for you. And in the context of the same teaching, he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Don't worry about tomorrow. God knows perfectly what you need. But also, it would be a mistake. It would be, it's okay when you're an immature Christian, but looking around this room, I'm looking at people that have known Jesus for a while. When you mature in your faith, let's look at what Jesus teaches in this context. He shifts their focus. He shifts their focus. Yes, pour out your heart to God, 
but bring yourself into alignment with his kingdom and his will, God, whatever you want, and shift your focus. Seek first the kingdom. So what that means is that God knows what's best. God is alive. God is aware. God is able. God is active. God is already at work. There is a kingdom of God that is expanding. Even in the face of the contradiction you see in your life, I see in my life, we see in our neighborhoods in Baltimore City. God is not limited by those things. You hear me this morning? God is not limited by what we see in the natural. Just like God, what if God answered Jeremiah? Everything is possible with me. I can do whatever, but it's God's purpose. So Jesus calls his followers in this teaching, shift your focus. Let your faith rise with a belief that God knows that anything is possible with God. God is all powerful and God is all knowing. God has the answers for today and tomorrow. I want to do something silly. When I was praying for you over these past couple months, and God birthed this word in my spirit through the scripture, I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to ask you to do something that may seem a little bit silly. I'm going to ask a question. Who loves you? And I want you verbally out loud to say, God. And then I'm going to say, God who is, and I want you to say, perfect in power. Okay? So who loves you? God. Who is perfect in power. Let's do it again, but finish with perfect in knowledge. Who loves you? God. Who is perfect in knowledge. Let's do it again, power and then knowledge. Who loves you? God. Who is perfect in power. Who loves you? God. Who is perfect in knowledge. Your ears hear your mouth speak the truth. From the scripture. God has the answers for today and tomorrow. For the things that you don't have the answers for. And trust me. I'm with you in it. I know there are things in this room that are known to each other. And there are things in this room that are not known to each other. Where you're facing a challenge that has hit you in the face. Just like Mike Tyson said, everyone's got a plan until you get hit in the face. I want you to remember the first Sunday I came back after COVID. I told you what God spoke to me out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We thought we were going to die, but it was a good thing because we learned to rely on God. I have come to thank God for limitations. Because limitations help me see that in my flesh, I can't, I, can't, I can't accomplish it. I can't do it. I can't make it all happen. And, and I don't get to boss God around. But God can do anything. And through the scripture, I see that God likes being called into action. So let me give you a quick, quick principle. I went past my time. Sometimes God reveals the answer at the moment. Sometimes God wants us to seek him for the answer he's already revealed. There's an answer in scripture. Have you done a Bible study about your challenge? 
Sometimes God wants us to seek Him for the answer that He's already revealed. Sometimes God wants us to seek Him for the answer He's going to reveal. We've got lots of scriptures that apply to that. So, let's close in prayer. God, we trust You. We choose to believe that You are who You said You are. God, we give you wholehearted devotion. We choose to love you with all our time, energy, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We choose to love you with a wholehearted devotion. God, we will follow the teaching of Jesus. Make our requests made known to you. And God, we will focus on your kingdom and your purpose. Thank you, God, that you love us, that you're all-powerful, and that you're all-knowing. So God, as we go from this place today, everything that we do, our rest and our work, we do it as a worship to you. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here together today. Uh, please, love on somebody that you see here. Give some rest today and maybe send an encouragement to those that you don't see here today. Grace and peace to you. Have a great week.